Introduce your podcast. What you trying to do with it? Introduce your podcast. What are you trying to do with it? And then what the topic why is for the day. Fuck? Yeah. Because you got to sell like why other motherfuckers got to listen to your shit. Yeah. Bang, bang. All right, cool. Yeah. I need to come up a little. I need to speak up louder. Sorry. I'm Drew. He's Carla. And this is Drew versus the world. Who the fuck is Drew? You. Why am I Drew? See, your name Drew today. No, my name's Nemo. My name is Nemo. Oh, 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 now we're thinking about this. And I'm here to talk to you about. Uh, what it means to be a white ally, and I'm sitting here with my friend Carla and my friend Nick. Nick. Nice to meet you. And we're gonna sit and talk about what it means to be a white ally with everything going on right now. So, first, uh, I kind of want to start talking my shit for a minute and just kind of voice some frustrations that I have about what's going on right now and the way that certain of uh, new white allies are behaving and how they're acting, given a uh, the fact that they recently just joined our ranks, I guess you could say. And something that's really frustrating me is that they're they're not really paying attention to the white allies that have been out here for a long time and have really been voicing their opinions on these issues for a while and following the example that we set for them. And by doing that, they're, they're stumbling in ways that we already have. And we can help them with that and we can help prevent them from doing that because what will happen is they'll end up doing more harm than good and in their learning process of how to become a better white ally. And it's, it's a very organic process, and it's, uh, you know, I kind of sympathize with it and I respect it in a way, but at the same time, when you purposefully think you know everything and cut yourself off from other forms of information, uh, being us experienced white allies, or more importantly, experienced black and brown voices in the community, you're, you're going to stumble in ways that we already have and you're gonna cause more harm. So, one thing that really pisses me off is how we as white folks, for some reason, continually feel the need to try and shove black and brown folks at the back of the fucking bus. And we won't give them a moment to just drive the motherfucker. Just once. Big thanks. Like, can we just let motherfuckers just drive that shit? Because we always feel the need to, to put in our two cents and steer the movement, and we don't trust them to maneuver their own prerogatives and their own perspectives. and to control their own movement. Mm-hmm. Like, we always have to try and steer the motherfucker. Yes, it's and, annoying. Yeah, and that's, I just don't see why that's necessary. Like, can we just sit in the back and enjoy the view? Or my personal favorite, please pass the baton. Right, like, it's not, it's, it's not that serious. You can relinquish control and we'll all still be okay. Like, because I think what a lot of motherfuckers don't realize is that, like, black and brown folks are fighting for themselves and fighting for their communities, and they absolutely deserve the right to do that and be selfish in this moment. But at the end of the day, this is going to benefit all of us. And we're going to live in a, in, a, in a safer, more diverse, and freer America. Why the fuck can't we just trust them to build that for us? You know what I mean? Like, not necessarily that it's for us, but we're all going to benefit. So why can't we just fucking relax? Like, please, can we step back and just chill? And that kind of brings me to another point, is that pulling, pulling back on that, that theory of ignorance, you know, how... how we kind of just throw our arrogance out there and always throw in our two cents without really taking the time to do the research and ask people questions and shit like that before we start voicing our opinions. Why the fuck do we feel the need to make ourselves more palatable to black communities and brown communities? Like, 
motherfuckers all of a sudden are out here wearing kente cloths and dashis and shit all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. And then they're speaking Spanish at Hispanic restaurants when they don't speak no fucking Spanish to begin with. Mm-hmm. So why the fuck do we feel the need to make ourselves more palatable? You um, can because white people sometimes make it more awkward when it doesn't have to be. I, I guess so. Like, <laughs> just, that's that's kind of how it looks. Like, <laughs> I'm I'm just saying like you can be white and still support this movement. It's okay to be white. There's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with white skin. It's all yeah. right. So how would you define an ally? Somebody who, the primary purpose of a white ally, in my opinion, is to, first and foremost, like 70% of what we do is shut the fuck up and listen. Because why? Because we don't know shit. All right. We don't know nothing about these problems. You know what I mean? Until we take the time to learn about it and really get experience with it. Especially, I think this should really be directed at those white allies that have became allies of the movement because of secondhand information like something they saw on the news or the George Floyd video or something like that. They didn't see it firsthand growing up or with their friends or in their community. So they really have, I guess you could say, like a, a toddlership in this movement because they're learning. Mm-hmm. This is all very new to them. Mm-hmm. And they, my advice to you would be to take your time and shut the fuck up and listen. Like that is the most important thing that you can do right now is just listen to black and brown folks talk. Hear their stories and their perspectives and what they have to say because you don't know. And that's okay. Like, it's all right for you not to know. It's all right for you to let them drive the bus. It's all right for you to relinquish control in this moment. Mm -hmm. That's fine. And my next point would be uh, an ally, after you've taken a lot of time to know, that's, again, that's a continuing struggle. That's what we're going to keep doing throughout this whole, your whole time as a white ally. You're going to keep shutting the fuck up and learning. Mm -hmm. But as you learn more and you gain more confidence and, and know how to navigate these subjects better, you're your role will shift into one where you create a safe space for black and brown folks to voice their stories and their opinions, and you guard that space. You know what I mean? And that's, that's really what our function is, is to, we may have heard the shit, but other motherfuckers behind us or, or newer, less experienced allies or allies that get inspired by secondhand information, like I said, may not have had that opportunity. So, so we an ally should listen, right. learn, right. reflect. Right. So an ally should just be listening for understanding or learning for understanding. Right. Uh, empathy, in other words, right? Right. Uh, Approach the situations with respect, a desire to learn, and just like basically love. Keep love in your heart and apply yourself to other people and other perspectives. And what do you say for a white ally when learning becomes painful? Keep going, I guess. Yeah. I mean. I don't really have something inspiring to say about that because it's an ugly truth and it's an ugly can of worms you're opening. You know what I mean? It's going to be really uncomfortable. But I think it would be fair to even relate yourself with that in in terms of when you learn painful things just by seeing and listening. How did you, instead of choosing to fall back and allow behaviors to repeat themselves, what made you say, no way, I got to change this? I guess for me personally, a lot of it stems from me being from East Charlotte. Mm-hmm. And I saw the majority of the in- injustice that I saw that inspired me to want to pursue this information further was what I saw happening to my friends and my family members in East Charlotte. Not yeah. really, maybe family members is the wrong word, but those that I was close to. No, they still fam. Right, right, right. <laughs> not blood, but they fam. <laughs> but so that, that perspective motivated me to push through it and keep wanting to learn more and keep fighting for this, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, keep talking about it, and mm-hmm. not be afraid to speak on these subjects, because I feel like I need to do what I can to support them, mm-hmm. because these Charlotte's been getting shit on, like, forever, 
Very true. Very true. Uh, I'm a West Side person. We don't we don't rock with the East too much, unless you my right. cousin. Unless you my no, cousin, I'll go to the East Side if you my cousin. There's no fucking reason for that though. We have, like, <laughs> no, it's not. There's <laughs> little East Side West Side beef for like no reason. Yeah, yeah. Just just because you on the East Side, we on the West yeah, Side. It's like you think if you rep Central, you're saying fuck Fadies Ford. Like, that's not what I'm saying. No, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. Mad love for the East Side, though, because that's where my little brother and little sister are located. Right, right, right. And um, here's what I want to ask you. Okay. Okay. I taught you the difference between an ally, an advocate, and an activist. Okay. Right. So, based on what you're saying in terms of a white ally, you think that these groups of people should listen and learn. Because one thing that is very true is when you come up through the school system, K-12, you only get one side of the story. Oh, CMS for sure. Absolutely. And you only get like a paragraph of all of these different groups of students that exist within this immensely white space. Mm -hmm. How do you see an ally transitioning to an advocate? Because on my end, my issue with an ally and an advocate is the centering of the story into whiteness, instead of doing as you're asking for white allies to do, which is allow black and brown people to drive the bus. So how do I go from listening and learning to speaking? How do I speak out versus speaking for. That's definitely a tricky thing to navigate. Especially yeah. as you become like a more it's like experienced and knowledgeable white ally. It it doesn't it gets easier but it's always remains difficult. And what I usually try to do is again, nine times out of ten, if you're not sure what to do, just shut the fuck up and listen. Mm-hmm. That's always what you can fall back on when you're not sure. Mm-hmm. But you we as white allies, I don't want this to come across as discouraging to us, to fellow white allies that are interested in pursuing this further. We have valuable opinions on the subject and we have important things to say and we absolutely can add fuel to this movement, mm-hmm. but we need to be selective about how we share these opinions and I don't think there's really any circumstance where our opinions are more valid than those people of color who are fighting for this. I agree. You know what I mean? Like we, we have very important things to say, but we need to be very cautious about how we voice those opinions because there is that really bad habit of us overshadowing this whole issue mm-hmm. and consuming it and taking it for our own. So if how, that answers your question at all. Yeah, it totally mm-hmm. answers my question, and it brings me to another point that you wanted to hit on, which is uh, the Rothstein book, right? The Color right, of Law. The color of law. Yeah, so yeah. the way I see it is that Rothstein would be defined as an advocate because he spent X amount of decades researching one topic and compiling that information into a book to demonstrate that um, racial disparities are a res- within our cities and towns are a result of how those cities and towns were structured right. based on white supremacists or racial, whichever fun word you want to choose concepts. Right. The, right? the, the, the reason the hood looks the way it does today is because of intensive, uh, intelligent design. It's purposeful. Exactly. Right. It wouldn't wouldn't you say that that would be a very interesting book for any ally to read? Yes. Like, I'm ready to go beyond the concept of white fragility. Right. Mainly because um, I could give a fuck about your feelings. 
Right. That goes more. That's just like for more than just white people for me. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. like I don't. I'm telling you, it goes beyond for me. I could give a fuck less about your feelings, and I just like discussing hard facts. I I get a big ass joy out of that. Would you define Rothstein as an advocate because he's written the book? The book is available for folk to read, and it is extremely eye-opening if you've never thought about that concept before. Right. So, yes, I, absolutely, he deserves to be classified as an advocate. And I think that, that is really what he did with that book is really key in the evolution of white allies and how we navigate this space. Mm-hmm. Because he transferred from just paying attention to this shit to then becoming a conveyor of information. So he began plugging new allies into this information. So kind of calling back to what I was saying, where we feel like as experienced white allies, motherfuckers aren't listening to us. As experienced white advocates, we they're not listening to what we have to say. These new motherfuckers that watched 13th one time and now all of a sudden they think they know every fucking thing. You know yeah. what I mean? So, and that's what we're trying to give you. We're trying to be a resource for you to learn this shit and get plugged into information like the color of law mm-hmm. so that you can expand your horizons and learn this shit. And I think that's, a key point of being an advocate is you really just convey information to your counterparts and those that are less experienced than you on the subject without judgment. You know what I mean? You just provide them with the space to learn. Yeah, absolutely. So. Like, I mean, that that's kind of where we all are right now is in that learning space and being able to, some, it's kind of like this. I have patience for some conversations with white people if I know it's coming from a genuine and an an authentic space. You know, Mm -hmm. there's no need to crush an ego. There's no need to be nasty. If you genuinely want to learn, then I genuinely see myself as an educator. I will discuss and I will facilitate. But I cannot coddle that which has been ignored. It's like I was telling you earlier, I'm having a hard time adjusting to new white allies because if I was invisible, and overnight I become visible, that's a whole lot of problem. Zero and I, to 100, right. Yeah, like I, I don't know how to handle that conversation next. I, I'm thinking forwardly by thinking about my child. You know, the world is small enough for me to realize that the person I'm being nasty to may be the person my child comes across. And today might be that breaking point. Right. So my next words better be my best words. Mm-hmm. And I do extend that to some of those people that have felt the wrath of my intelligence when something is not genuine and inauthentic. Right. Um, when it is, there, there's no need to feel the flame from me. It's just, it's just pure understanding and listening and revisiting a lot of really, really, really horrible events. You got your phone out there. What's your phone say? What'd you learn from Beyonce? So, I was, I was watching that uh, 2018 Coachella performance documentary last night, and mm-hmm. that was, you know, really empowering. As somebody that wants to make music, you know, seeing her just go out there and put that much dedication to one thing is cool. Mm-hmm. But there's a quote in there that kind of stuck with me, and it was, you cannot, you cannot become what you cannot see. And I kind of want to apply that to a lot of the new white allies coming out. If y'all aren't paying attention to us and getting plugged into the right voices and the right information, you're, you're, you're destined to repeat the mistakes that we've already made. You know what I mean? And by nature, we are imperfect allies who will keep making mistakes. And that's okay so long as we approach those mistakes with respect and love and a desire to learn. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's okay for people to call us out on those mistakes because, again, by nature, we're going to keep making those mistakes. Absolutely, because we're all only human. I mean, I I can't wake up and just be like, okay, I have all 
of the solutions for right. everybody. Um, close your hand in the matrix. You got the whole program now. Don't happen. Child, no. Don't my name happen. ain't God. My name is Carla. <laughs> I, I am definitely going to make a mistake out here. That is without a doubt, you know? Right. Now, tell me more about why that resonated with you so much to see the quote, think about it, and then instantly come up with next steps that you would share with someone else who's interested in this journey you've already been on. Right. Well, um, it really has to do with the fact that it, it, it astonishes me that we live in the age of information, but yet there are still millions of people that cut themselves off from this shit purposefully. You know what I mean? Like, they have access to everything. They have access to see and learn anything that, pretty much any question that humanity has ever had has been answered and is now on the internet, and I can look it up at any time. And motherfuckers still don't know this shit. And they're still not paying attention to it. And yeah. they're still walking out of the house with a fucking kente cloth on, thinking that's appropriate. I mean, they just wanted to you add some kente. You know, we need, we need to thank Brother Fonte for that whole skit. <laughs> add some kente. Nancy Pelosi don't need to be wearing a name. No, kente we're cloth. good. We're good, Pelosi. We're good. <laughs> None, none of y'all right. needed to wear the kente, and unfortunately, no black people did not get mad. Uh, we all collectively laughed very hard until yeah. some of us shed a I lot of tears I, of laughter. That shit was funny. Yes, yes, it was. Now, that is not a great way of being an ally. Please don't wear kente. Uh, we've got the advocate on our hands, which is someone who has looked at at information, analyzed information, and organized it in a way to where what we're talking about is not new and it's not overnight. It is a history of behavior, it's a history of violence that goes in cycles. And unless white people really dead the cycle, we will never be able to move from having an ally, creating the advocate, and moving into that activist space. I think that as of right now, the most dangerous white woman for white people is Jane Elliott because oh, yeah. she's she, coming she from an immensely white space as a school teacher in like Iowa or Idaho. Um, one, just, of them, one of them white places. Yeah, just one of them states where you don't think <laughs> black people supposed to be, but black people be there, but you just, you never know because who goes on vacation to Iowa? I don't know. Um, Maybe somebody got a cousin in Iowa, so let me not speak too quick. But uh, how do you feel about Jane Elliott as an activist? I mean, she did pull off one very powerful experiment that has resonated for at least going on three decades now. Right. So well, I think the thing that's unique about Jane Elliott, I don't, I don't know a whole lot about her before her work that we know her for. But I would assume that by doing this, she, for her being able to speak that way, she has to have done an immense amount of research and done yeah. an immense amount of shutting the fuck up and listening. Mm -hmm. That's the only way you can speak with that much confidence on these subjects correctly. You know what I mean? As, as from that perspective of a white act activist. I agree. So I can immensely respect that. And I think that what she did was really significant by doing that and that that can be repeated. And she's, been, and she's been consistent. She's consistently held her word about trying to dismantle systemic racism and institutionalized racism. Like a lot of people don't understand what we're talking about when we say systemic or institutionalized. But my favorite graphic that people who do this work on a daily basis use is the concept of an iceberg. When right. we look at an iceberg, we just see the tip of the iceberg coming out of the water. Imagine what's under that motherfucker. Imagine how big that thing is and how deep it goes 
and what essentially people of color are asking for right now is to it's beyond being left alone it's beyond asking and begging for equality um i'm at equity now right this this issue is so far deep that extends way before me because last time i checked in 1968 my mother was seven and my uncles either were being born or were about to be born the following year which means that we still have a generation of family members who've had to walk through segregation. You've seen it, right. Yeah, so it's like this isn't something that's dead right now. Right. I, I just want more white people to give me my space, allow me to have these black spaces without interference, and you are more than welcome to come into the space if you choose to be passive, no aggressive behavior. So I want to add on to that, actually, if you don't mind. Go for it, because so, we still got to turn this thing around and right, have this right. little talk, because yeah, we're yeah. coming from two different perspectives. So I'm coming from the South. Nick is going to come from the left coast, the west coast, and right. those politics of race are completely different right. than what's housed down here, down South. So here, I'll say this real quick, and we can turn it over. So you, you hit on some really key points about building equity and trusting black folks to create their own space and brown folks to create their own space. Absolutely. So I want to tie that into gentrification okay. and what's going on in Charlotte right now. Yeah. In places like Plaza Midwood, Nova, South End, and where the fuck ever else. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I feel like we take this attitude that we're going to come into the neighborhood and clean up the place. We're going to put in this brewery and this coffee shop, and it's going to be fucking great, and all these people are going to be doing hipster shit all over the place, and it's going to have all these murals, and it's just wonderful, right? Mm-hmm. And what you're doing is you're robbing black folks of the ability to give them enough fucking time to fix their own shit. Yes, I you know agree. I mean? Like, they, they can do it. Let them fucking do it. Yeah. But the problem with that is there's not really any way to outlaw the shit, because if the land becomes more valuable, the taxes go up. And that's yeah. how they drive motherfuckers out. Yes. So you can't really outlaw that because it's a free market system. Mm-hmm. But what we can do, and this is where, where white advocates can transfer into white, uh, white activists. Yeah. And they can do so without even really having to speak out quite like Jane does. Jane just says whatever the fuck she wants and goes right for it. Hey, look, man, let me get to my 80s. I'm going to say whatever the fuck I want to. <laughs> but, uh. You don't have to quite behave. If that's not your way to move, like kind of me personally, I don't really like to move that way. Just go out in front of every fucking body and, and just save my shit. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like I'm kind of more selective with the way I move. So what I do is I'm trying to support and create a culture in East Charlotte where motherfuckers aren't cool with people just moving in who ain't from there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where motherfuckers, it's just an expectation that we hold as private citizens who grew up there and lived there. And wow. that, that way it creates an expectation that motherfuckers who are from there can fix it. Yeah. Give us the fucking space. When I saw crosswalks on Vetusford Road, my <laughs> brain exploded. Right next to Camp North End is Woodward and Statesville Avenue, honey. Woodward and Statesville Avenue has existed for God only knows how long. And a light didn't show up until the projects went away. And God only knows how long that intersection needed a damn light. Right. But because of gentrification and trying to take neighborhoods that were once of lower value and flipping them into higher value, now we have fancy crosswalks and lights showing up in locations where if that area has been historically black, why is it 
just now right. these things are showing up. Black people don't observe crosswalks? Like, what the fuck? You know, I mean, I questions. Like, why can't, right. why can't we have a crosswalk? Simple-ass crosswalk. But why isn't that because of people wanting to move closer to town, which is where a lot of historically black neighborhoods are located. And to be honest, it's like that in almost every major city. So there's a grand plan somewhere, but I'm not a conspiracy theorist. So don't don't put that on me. I'm just saying some shit looks similar in comparison shit, to other shit. Shit's awfully fishy out there. Yeah, man. Um, why, why now? You know, like, I'll know some shit is different the minute I see a grocery store pop up in certain areas. My fear is that whoever these white people are moving into these historically marginalized neighborhoods as a result of redlining, if you don't get that grocery store within a year of this place changing, you are just in a pretty ass slump. And we can wait out 25 years because that is the exact same things that happened to the black people that lived in these communities. Because what what do people need? People need just the basics. All right. Need something to eat. Need somewhere to work. Need somewhere to sleep. Got to put clothes on. But when the basics are cut off from folk, interesting thing happens with behavior. They will do anything to acquire yeah, the, the basics. The veneer of civilization goes away quick when you need some shit. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Well, look, I'm going to flip this thing over to the yeah, homie over here from Oxnard. From right. No, no, no. You go ahead. You can take the headphones. All right, so just, I mean, you can guide the conversation either way. I'll just okay. put my two cents in. Mm-hmm. So I'm here. I'm sitting here with... Uh, dude, I just met today, actually named Nick, and he's from out in California, and we really just started talking about some of these issues. So this is a very organic experience that everybody's getting to hear right now, and I'm just really interested in his perspective on what he's seen and how he feels about any of these things, given the fact that he grew up on the East Coast, or West Coast, I'm sorry. Yep, so just to jump in, um, from Oxnard, California, Southern California, uh, about an hour north of Los Angeles, very much a diverse diverse um, neighborhood, mostly Latino. Uh, we have African Americans, white kids. It didn't seem like there was much of a, you know, a divide. In California, it's almost more of a melting pot uh, growing up. I used to kind of call it that. But I guess to compare it to, to moving down south is the difference is They're not, they're not shy about shit. They're proud of it. Yeah, it's a, it's a pride thing. Right. Uh, versus, you know, growing up in California, it, you're surrounded by so many people. Um, like, I'm Pacific Islanders, Mexicans, whites, blacks, Asians. So it's almost, you know, if you have those prejudiced uh, thoughts and ideas, it's almost like you keep them to yourself and you kind right. of navigate around diversity right but moving to to the south I definitely see more of that you know it's hey this is how I feel and if you don't like it that's your fault right but I don't know and and to your guys' points 
stems from like people I knew in the neighborhood and friends of mine that I grew up with. And like a close friend of mine, uh, she, her mother was from El Salvador. And growing up, like through middle and high school, I knew her pretty good. And her mother was an illegal immigrant and was having to work her ass off to support the family. So that's one way I got plugged into certain information. Um, I saw, like, for, for a while in high school, I didn't really understand this at first, but whenever me and some of my friends that was black was driving around, I was always the one driving. Like, they always asked me to drive. You know what I mean? And they were like, it's just easier if you just drive. We'll, we'll have less problems if you just drive. So situations like that, I started to ask questions. And be like, so why do you want me driving? Like, what's the problem? And then they started explaining to me what's going on, and that's how I got plugged into a lot of that information. Yeah, and it's, it's like we were saying before, if it doesn't affect you, if it's not something that you can see and hear, then it kind of just in one ear and out the other. But you had these life experiences that affected people that were very close to you, so it pushed you to get in, involved in it. And I think what I encourage listeners and, and other people to do is don't wait for it to, to hit close to home to speak up about certain things. If you know something, big thing for me was uh, black artists, black and brown artists. That's the easiest place for me to start. They, they, they seek out new people and new voices, and, or I mean new, new folks to listen. So there's, they're already putting themselves out there. All you gotta do is tune in. Right. So that's, I think, the easiest place for us to start is black and brown artists, all sorts of musicians, uh, poets, writers, graphic designers, painters, all that stuff. They have very interesting and unique perspectives. And I feel like the artists a lot of times, especially lower level local artists, you're gonna get the real shit. You're not gonna get polished up like fake shit that they're trying to market. You're gonna get right. Exactly. They're they're doing the art to feed their soul, and so that's what you're gonna get is a window into their their being, and that's the easiest way, in my opinion, to really begin to learn more. Nice, and I like that. It's just diving into the culture, almost. right? Diving in uh, without any restrictions. I think sometimes people get caught up in, oh, I want to listen to it. Firm in their beliefs, almost. Right. Right. It's more about just going in and listening to it, regardless if it's something you believe in, or it's something that you're raised to believe, or the complete opposite. I feel like you just have to 100% vulnerability, and that's how you really take that genuine knowledge from it. Absolutely. Yeah. You you kind of have to walk into it without any preconceived notions. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Just be there, just to be present, be listening. And kind of like I said earlier, relinquish control. Yep. Just participate. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I, I, I feel what you're saying there. Oh, yeah. And not to get off topic at all, um, or like blend movements at all, but you see the, the women's movement, like my, my body, my 
just like that movement, somebody else has to take a back seat to the women. This right. movement here with uh, Black Lives Matter, somebody needs to take that back seat to those black lives. And shit, the sooner we, we can do that as a, a country or as a world, because this is more of just a, a country issue at this point, if we can let certain problems be led by those who are oppressed to get the solution, that's going to provide a solution that can be used. Uh, it's going to be altered a little bit, but you can use that same solution for so many different other oppressive situations. Right. And um, I think people don't want to see it that way. Of, hey, well, if we have to fix your problem, then we have to go fix this, that, and that. No, if we fix this problem, that's going to have a good trickle effect to already knock out some of the other problems we have. Yeah, it's just interconnected for sure. I feel like that for sure. I don't know, it's, a, it's an interesting topic, but just like this, I, I was surprised walking in here today. I had no idea that this was going to partake, but right. the best thing about it is there's a space, a comfortable space to have a tough conversation. Yeah, and, and it's never going to be an easy conversation. Mm -hmm. Even when even if we're lucky enough in our lifetime to see this all be history, mm -hmm. and we only talk about it in that context, and that would be beautiful, but it still will be painful. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? It's always going to be, but that's okay. It's, it's okay for us to have a painful conversation with each other. We don't need to feel like that's disrespectful or not courteous or like, you know, it's, it's unkosher. Mm -hmm. It's okay. Right. You know what I mean? Just take the time and, and come from a perspective of understanding that you probably don't know most of the shit. Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. And even as a, a black male, I, you know, I'd be lying right now if I told you I knew everything about the Black Lives Matter movement. I'd be lying. Right. So, and it, it takes that humility of It's literally going to go straight over your head because exactly. you're not going to open yourself up to it. Right, right. And um, there was one point I did want to bring up because I was having uh, one of these tough conversations the other day. It happened over Facebook uh, with a friend of mine's mom, uh, older white lady, obviously very two different backgrounds, her and I, um, just re revolving around, you know, this whole movement and the posts that go along with it. Right. And you see how big of perspective plays, uh, life experience. Uh, like you said, your your African American friends, your black friends would have you drive and you know, not having that experience or being put in that situation, you would never wonder like why is it why right. is this that way or why is this and I try to explain that to her and I, I think she understood it as a you know point of reference of why I say the things I say is because I've had the experiences I've had. Now if you don't have experience, it's hard for you to co completely understand why I'm saying what I'm saying. So it's like, obviously you're not going to have that same experience, but to share, for me to share my experience with you and you to listen and understand it, then you can speak or then you can understand why I speak the way that I speak, if that makes sense. I was kind of mapping it out and kind of wrapped it in a circle there. But Right, I see what you're saying. It's kind of like a this is a weird analogy, but it's kind of what comes to mind. So you ever seen those videos of like some sort of an animal in a zoo or something like that and they've never gone outside? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And then for the first time, this motherfucker puts his foot on the grass and he's like, fuck that shit. I don't want nothing to do with grass. Grass sucks. Yeah. You know, he's like, grass is a bunch of bitch shit. I'm staying inside forever. 
And then there's all the other motherfuckers outside that are like, grass is pretty cool. You should come out. There's even more shit, like water and sunlight and all this other cool shit. All that. You know what I mean? That's kind of how I feel about a lot of folks that shut themselves off from this information. Oh, yeah. I'm like, there's a whole bunch of cool, interesting, unique, and beautiful perspectives over here. And in my experience in life, I've only found that the black and brown communities in America are very inviting and caring people whenever you want to learn. Yep. So why would you shut yourself off from that? You're only robbing yourself in the long run. You know what I mean? funny because where I grew up, uh, Oxnard, again, predominantly Hispanic, Mexican neighborhoods, and you drive maybe 20 minutes up the road, you hit Camarillo, a little more um, white area, you drive up, up the hill, we call it like over the bridge, right. it's more of a wealthy, okay. Newberry Park mm-hmm. areas, and for me, South Charlotte for us. It's, right. And it just has that kind of notion to it. But then I had to go, I went to a community college, Moorpark College, which all the kids from up the hill went to. And you pull up to the campus, there's uh, Maseratis, uh, Escalades, all these oh, yeah, nice, yeah, and then yeah. it kind of feeds that stereotype like, oh, you're, you're all the spoiled rich kids. There we go. But I did a good job of just putting myself into it and not having those restrictions like not holding myself back and I made some of my good life friends from that school who are white um, and if I would have went through that whole process of closed mindedness and not even willing to entertain yeah. what they had to say it wouldn't have been that way so what I encourage people to do is the exact same that I did but in opposite instance is like like you've done just put yourself in that culture seems almost trivial. You're like, why the fuck are we arguing about this shit again? Right. This is still a conversation. I still have to remind motherfuckers not to wear kente cloths and shit. Like, wow. It's tough. <laughs> now, now's a good point, too, is um, we see a lot of allies doing actions and then you think to yourself, like, why the fuck would you do that? Right. Like, that's a disgrace. Like, not you're embarrassing yourself and it's offensive to this, that, and the third. can tell we're, we are a resource for you as fellow white allies you know what I mean we've been doing this for a while and we have already made a lot of these fuck ups right so we can tell you hey uh, you probably shouldn't you, you come out of the room wearing that shit we can tell you before you walk out the house shouldn't be wearing it it's not, it's not the way to go exactly. but if you don't ask us we're not going to see it we're not going to be able to warn you hey that's probably not a good idea right so yeah and I, I know you touched on the point of the artist but say you know 
middle-aged white man, woman, or whatever, no African-American friends, no like no colored friends, no one in their circle that they can go to for these real-life experiences and examples. Besides the music, what like because there is a lot of tainted information out on the internet. Right. Where yeah, don't trust the internet. Um, that kind of gets a little bit tricky for me because art is the biggest way that I did it. And I grew up around it, so it was a lot easier for me to tap into these voices than somebody who grew up in a small town, maybe wasn't exposed to any of this. Right. So that's a particularly unique challenge, and I can respect it, uh, you trying to uh, right those wrongs. But a big one, at least in the South, I can speak to is like barbecues and going to church. That's like a huge fucking thing. We love that shit, do that shit all the time. So if you could try and plug into some local black and brown churches and events and speakers and other things going on, I would imagine that'd be a pretty good way too. Or at least just trying to sit down and have a meal with people, maybe somebody you know from work or something, just sit down and talk to them and just ask questions and poke their brain. And, and more than likely you're gonna ask a question or might have the desire to ask a question. It might be a little bit disrespectful because you don't know. You know I mean, you're, you're learning. But I think if we approach that with the desire to learn and the desire not to offend people, even though you probably, odds are, are going to, in the long run, I think you'll be successful. Right. And then, and then one more question, just because I'm, I'm trying to pry a blueprint for starting right. out activists, okay. um, based on, you've already done it, so I'm just trying to pry that information into questions. When, okay, when, do you, when did you personally start having those tough conversations I'm a bit of a history buff. I like to learn about history. So as I grew and started to be exposed to more information, I began to ask those questions. How did we end up here? And, and what, what exactly occurred before me? And who came before me? What other white allies came before me? And so on and so forth. So that took me back through segregation, through redlining, and inevitably took me back to the Civil War. And that's really where I began to have that conversation with my family members. Because I got some rebel flag flying ass motherfuckers in my family members that are proud of that shit. They love that shit. Them stars and bars are their fucking favorite. So I definitely was like, why the fuck are you flying that? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I just asked them, I was like, so if I walked in this motherfucker with an ISIS flag in one hand and an American flag in the other, would you be okay with that? And he's like, absolutely not. And I was like, okay, so then why the fuck are you okay with the Confederacy and an American flag on the same fucking pole? I'm like, them motherfuckers were literal traitors. They literally betrayed the United States and took up arms against us. You know what I mean? And that's really, that was the major segue for me to start having that conversation. And then I had another conversation with my grandmother about the Black Panthers one day, and I distinctly remember it. Because she, she was always very forward thinking for her niche. She grew up in a small town in the South that was heavily segregated. So there's only, I think, so far that most people will really take being an ally in that situation. Yeah. So I definitely think she, she saw some shit. She was like, why the fuck are we, why the fuck can't they ride the bus with me? Why the fuck do they have to sit in the back? You know what I mean? Like yeah. situations like that. So that really, but she still was kind of, I guess, maybe not victim of the times. It's not the right term to use because I don't really like to use that term. But you see what I'm getting at? She was, yeah. a, she was a product of her time. Right. So she saw the Black Panthers being portrayed so negatively on the news. And she was like, well, these are fucking terrorists. And I was like, no, they weren't. 
over there just trying to protect themselves. Mm-hmm. They don't. That's not wrong. There's nothing terrorizing about that. And then I was like, okay, they're fucking terrorists. Name me one time where a bunch of Black Panthers went into a white neighborhood and started burning down suburbs. Name me, name me one instance of a terrorist attack. She was like, uh, fuck. She was like, uh, scratching her head. Like, oh, goddamn, okay. Yeah, she's like, all right, okay, you're right, fine, fuck it. You know so that then then I actually sat down with her and showed her thirteenth and that really explained a whole lot for her. And she was like, Oh wow, so you actually got some shit here. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So that's really how that segued. But it those those initial conversations are almost always gonna be like shocking. And, and divisive, you know what I mean? For sure. And of course I'm a I'm a motherfucker skinny motherfucker from the east side with an attitude. So I was like, fuck that rebel flag. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I wasn't really being diplomatic about it. I definitely was very abrasive. So maybe not the best approach, but I was like, man, fuck that shit. Take that shit now. You know? And I, I hear you. Everybody has their uh, ways about it, but it is, I just, that whole Confederate flag shit, to me, is a whole different yeah. topic because... It's hard. It's a lot. That is a lot. I'm just like, wow. Yeah, for something that's tied so closely to hate and just... No, it wasn't. It was about states' rights. What are you talking about? Uh, it was about freedom. Uh, depends, like, what? Depends who you ask, right? It's a it's an inter- interesting conversation that. But um, I guess to to wrap up my point, I I really appreciate you know your input and your um, testimony for lack of for lack of better words. Just thank you, I appreciate that. Being comfortable with putting yourself in uncomfortable situations. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, I definitely walked in here today and didn't really know how this was going to go. I just knew that I wanted to say something. And uh, there's a whole bunch of motherfuckers in here that I didn't know. And I was like, I'm about to talk my shit in front of a bunch of people that don't know me. I was like, okay, fuck it. We're going to see how this goes. Nah, it's okay, but, baby. You with me. <laughs> don't matter. You with Carla, baby. Yeah, too much Carla, you know, like, wrong, she ain't going to get your back. She yeah. got you. So I'm just really happy that we got to have this conversation. So thank you. I appreciate oh, yeah. it. Appreciate it.